Home is where you feel safe. For me, home is a、uh, family. Number one,、uh, my parents. Let me be specific. Home is a、uh, a sense of belonging to a land, a country,、uh, to people, to community. Home is where I feel safe, loved, and cared for. Welcome to Hometown, your weekly Lent and Easter podcast on refugee welcome in the Episcopal Church and across the United States. I'm Allison Duval, and I'm Kendall Martin, and this is our debut episode. We're so glad you're with us. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is an offering from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church. You can learn about our work on our website, episcopalmigrationministries.org, and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are EMM Refugees. This podcast is part of the Good Book Club initiative, which invites all Episcopalians to come together to read the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles throughout Lent and Easter 2018. You can find the daily readings, resources, and so much more at goodbookclub.org or on Facebook, facebook.com/forward/slash/thegoodbookclub. So Kendall, this podcast was really born out of conversations you and I have been having for quite some time. Why is this podcast important to you? Well, Allison, we're living in a time where we're constantly receiving messages from the media, and in the past couple of years, those messages about our newest neighbors have really taken a turn for the negative. And it's our responsibility as the church and as EMM to speak truth to these stories. So I see this podcast as a space for our newest neighbors, for new Americans, really, to tell their stories and to offer truth about their experience and what this country means to them. That's what matters a lot to me as well about this podcast—the、um, storytelling that we'll do and that we'll listen to, and we'll get to know amazing people from all across the country. There's also something I wanted our listeners to know, and that is that I am obsessed with podcasts. I probably subscribe to fifty or more. And if Kendall had a dollar for every time I started a story with one time on a podcast, she'd be very wealthy. <laughs> so she. Challenged me that we needed to do a podcast together, and that's where hometown comes from. And we'll do many different things with this podcast. Every episode will be a little bit different. Most weeks will feature a scripture reflection on the Good Book Club readings, and most weeks we'll also share facts on refugee resettlement,、um, facts and figures about EMM, so you can learn more about this ministry of our church. We'll also feature moving interviews with former refugees who were resettled to the U.S., and we'll hear their stories. Yeah, that's what I'm really excited about—the opportunity to learn and gain a better understanding from their stories. I'm so grateful for the gift they've given us,、um, their time,、um, and just their histories. And I'm also grateful to our reflection authors,、um, folks from across the church, who are going to be reflecting on each week's scripture readings. All of this together—it's been a really moving experience preparing for this podcast because it's given me time. To consider what home means to me, and how closely my sense of home is tied to my identity. Yes, that'll be a theme that runs throughout the podcast. I think, what is home? How do we create it? And I think, how do we help others find their place and create meaning and home? We're excited to be a partner in the Good Book Club initiative. 
and to join with so many across the church in reading the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts together throughout Lent and Easter. The Good Book Club officially starts on February 11, 2018, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. This week, our daily readings take us from Luke chapter 1 through Luke chapter 4, verse 13, from Luke's birth narrative of Jesus through Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Our reflection on that portion of Luke's gospel comes from the Reverend Lori Brock, the rector of the Episcopal Church of St. Michael the Archangel in the Diocese of Lexington, Kentucky. Mother Lori is co-author of Where God Hides Holiness and is the author of the forthcoming book from Paraclete Press, Horses Speak of God, How Horses Can Teach Us to Listen and Be Transformed, which is available for pre-order on Amazon.com. She blogs at RevLaurieBrock.com. We hope you enjoy this week's reflection. Fear makes its appearance quite early and rather frequently in the Gospel of Luke. We first meet fear as Zechariah offers incense in the sanctuary of the Lord when he is interrupted by Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, Zechariah, we read, is terrified, to which Gabriel responds, as translated in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, do not be afraid. Gabriel visits Mary soon after and begins with the same request of Mary, do not be afraid. Gabriel's request, translated as do not be afraid, has always seemed a bit too nice and too calm and too gentle to me. Gabriel actually says, at least as I read it in the Greek, and my apologies to Greek scholars, no fear. It's a big and brash statement. No fear is written in bold and spoken by an angel inked up with tattoos, with thousands of eyes of flame and wings that howl like the banshee winds of blizzards. This is a phrase of challenge. This is a phrase of defiance. This is a phrase alerting us that this particular encounter with the holy will involve a major tectonic shift in our well-ordered world. Gabriel delivers a message to both Zachariah and Mary that will be unsettling, hopeful, unexpected, and unnerving. Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph will be parents to sons, John and Jesus, and these sons will spend their lives confronting us with our own justifications to embrace hate over love, disturbing us when we limit God's love, and unsettling us when we remain too comfortable. They will give us every reason to fear the Lord and what God asks of us and love and hope. The word fear, in Greek phobos, appears in Luke more times than in any other gospel. Many of us don't particularly think of Luke as the scary gospel, filled with fear. After all, Luke gives us the nativity story, and the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the Sermon on the Plain. And yet, Luke's use of the word fear meets us in a very human place. And this fear isn't a flustering feeling. It's alarm terror. It's a moment where we think we may need new underwear. And it is of God. Fear is a very real part of being human. We fear that which can hurt us. We fear change, especially change with loss. We fear the other. 
Humans can spend a fair amount of time in fear. We can, when faced with something that looks hopeful and promising from the outside, like the birth of a long-awaited child, respond with fear. Fear cements us in the present, unable to move into the fullness of life with God. Fear whispers to us that we are inadequate to do what God has asked us to do, that this particular act of love will tax our budget and our souls. Fear covers the phrase, but we've always done it this way with gold and demands we kneel before the past, unwilling to allow God to change us. God does not give us the message of no fear to eradicate fear, but to remind us fear is not the only response to the message of God. Fear may be a response, but hope, love, and courage also get to come to the party. And they are a rowdy bunch who dare to look Gabriel in the eyes of flame and say, so what now? They uncement our feet from the ground as we follow the path to encounter God, however thorny and difficult the path may be. Fear still exists, but so does hopeful courage in this Christian journey. Recently, I received a text message one Saturday afternoon from our local refugee resettlement agency. A family is arriving Thursday. I know it's a long shot, but could you sponsor them? What? Could we help set up an apartment? Commit for three months to helping a family learn a new language and a new culture? And fund all of this that isn't in the budget? During an already busy season of Advent... In the upcoming season of Christmas, Fear sat down for coffee with me and carefully explained why we couldn't do this, why we couldn't take on what was being asked of us as a congregation. But Hope came in the room and sat down at the table too. She reminded me of the plight of this particular ethnic culture. They had been the victims of ethnic cleansing in their home country. And this family had spent their entire lives in a refugee camp. Their entire lives. That camp was home. Their friends were fellow refugees. The impermanence of the camp had been the one permanent thing in their lives for almost 30 years. Until this very moment. In my mind, I imagined them hearing the voice of Gabriel shout, Remember, no fear, as they begin the process of leaving all they had ever known to resettle in Lexington, Kentucky. When they arrived here on Thursday, for the first time they slept that night in their home and began anew because to be a refugee, to be a stranger in a strange land, demands a hopeful courage most of us will never have cause to muster. So our congregation heard all fear had to say, but we also heard the message of God, the message of Gabriel, and the message of our ancestors, shouting, no fear, remember. And we followed hope, love, and courage into ministry with refugees. When we encounter the message of God asking us to love our neighbors, to care for the outcast, and to step away from certainty into the risky love of discipleship, what do we do? Do we repeat the messages of fear? 
Do we consider all the things that could be or might or probably will go wrong? Do we withdraw from a holy encounter or challenge because we think we are not enough? Or we become worried that our church will be too political if we engage with refugee ministries? Do we become deaf to the language of courage and hope? Or do we hear again the message of the angels, the shouts of hope, and the voices of courage and love saying to us in bold letters, shaking the mountains and stirring up the seas, people of God, no fear. Amen. Whew. Wow. You know, Kendall, what strikes me most about Mother Lori's reflection is the connection she's making between themes of fear and faith and courage. Because um, I'm used to hearing, you know, those beautiful sermons around Advent speaking about the Annunciation and the fear that Mary must have felt, but the courage and the that she had to say yes to God. But I don't think I've ever heard it so beautifully connected to the fear and the courage that refugees must feel. Uh, I was just I was just really moved by it. You know, I was particularly struck by the line, fear still exists, but so does hopeful courage. And I feel that that line so beautifully relates to what a re the refugees experience is as they make that harrowing journey to a new life with the promise of safety and security and hope. Um, and throughout the podcast, we'll reflect on scripture together, listening for how God is speaking to us and what we're being asked to learn. Mother Lori points to some of that today in her reflection how she and members of her congregation were called to risk, called to learn as best they could about the experiences of these beloved children of God they were called to welcome. You're right. And similarly, we hope that this podcast, in much in the same way that Mother Lori's congregation was introduced to these new experiences through this ministry, we hope that we will introduce you, our listeners, to information, history, and stories that you might not, not often encounter in your day-to-day -day life. And we hope to do some of that today on today's episode. Sounds good. So let's start at the macro level and then let's briefly discuss the refugee situation in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And that will help us prepare for next week's episode. All right, we'll get started. At the macro level, we have to understand that the world today is facing the largest forced displacement crisis since World War II. More than 65 million people have been displaced from their homes. 22 million of those people are refugees and half of that number are children. The rate of displacement is so high that every minute of 2016, 20 new people were forcibly displaced from their homes. That's chilling to think about. In 1951, states gathered to develop what's called the Refugee Convention, which is a United Nations multilateral treaty 
that defined the legal category of refugee, and it set out the rights of individuals who are granted asylum and the responsibilities of nations that grant them asylum. In the post-World War II era, the international community at large was addressing issues of displacement and working toward mutual solutions to offer protection to those who were displaced due to persecution. And according to the Refugee Convention, refugees are people who, owing to well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion, is outside the country of his nationality and is unable or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself of the protection of that country. Refugees are those people who are forced to flee across an international border to seek protection in another country because their government is unable or unwilling to protect them. Oftentimes, it's their government that is persecuting them. It's important to note that most people who are driven from their homes by armed conflict don't end up officially as refugees. If they've not crossed an international border, the UN designates them as internally displaced persons, or IDPs. In 2016, there were 40.3 million internally displaced persons around the world, far overshadowing the 25.3 million refugees. From the United Nations perspective, this is an important distinction. Refugees fall under the auspices of the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, and are entitled to certain rights and basic assistance. IDPs, on the other hand, are the responsibility of their own government, often the government that has failed to protect them in their homes in the first place. And if you were to look at a map of the world with respect to this displacement crisis, you can see that countries fall into three categories, refugee producing countries, refugee hosting countries, and refugee resettlement countries. Refugees flee from their home countries, cross a border, and seek safety in these host countries. Many of the host countries rank poorly on the Fragile States Index. In fact, in 2015, 10 countries, which accounted for just 2.5% of the global economy, hosted over half of the world's refugees. The UN Refugee Agency is charged with securing what are called durable solutions for refugees. The three durable solutions are voluntary repatriation to his or her home country, local integration into the country of first asylum, or resettlement to a third country. Resettlement is the option of last resort for refugees after it's clear that voluntary repatriation and local integration aren't possible. Resettlement is only available for the most vulnerable of refugees who meet certain eligibility criteria, things like legal or physical protection needs, those who've survived torture or violence, refugees who have extreme medical needs, women and girls at risk, refugees who need to reunite with family from whom they've been separated, children and adolescents at risk, and then, as I said before, refugees who have a lack of foreseeable alternative durable solutions are eligible for resettlement. 
And next week, we'll delve more deeply into resettlement, especially resettlement in the United States and about Episcopal Migration Ministries. Now, though, let's turn to a brief overview of the refugee crisis in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Thanks, Kendall. Next week, we'll feature an interview with Abraham Mwenda Ikondo, an amazing young man who was resettled from the DRC, who also happens to be a musician, a performer, and the composer of our podcast theme song. I'm looking forward to that interview. I am too. For each of our interviews, we plan to give background information on the specific refugee situation that led to the guest's family fleeing and ultimately that led to their resettlement in the United States. Well, to begin our description about the DRC, let's reference the list you just shared, Allison, about the eligibility criteria for resettlement. The reason that many Congolese are eligible for resettlement and why many have been resettled through the United States Refugee Admissions Program is because they can't return to their home country nor be integrated into the countries to which they fled. Many are also particularly vulnerable. Many are survivors of torture or violence, and sexual and gender-based violence against women and girls has been widespread in the Congolese refugee situation. It's a devastating history. Now, we'll note that neither of us are historians nor experts in any particular refugee situation. In the notes for each podcast episode and on our website, episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash blog will cite our sources and give suggestions for further reading. We do encourage you to read and learn more. Thanks, Allison. Much of the background we'll share now is from the Center for Applied Linguistics Backgrounder on Refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we'll include a link in the podcast notes. The Congolese refugee crisis is due, in large part, to years of armed conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo that has included not only armed groups, but also the armies of nine countries. It began in 1996 when Rwanda invaded the DRC, searching for the genocidier who had committed the horrific genocide in that nation in 1994 and were regrouping in Eastern DRC in order to retake political power in Rwanda. The first and second Congo Wars occurred in 1996 and 1998. The second came to be known as Africa's World War. While a peace accord was struck in 2003, armed groups continued to battle amongst themselves and with the central government. In 2012, the U.S. Department of State remarked in a fact sheet that the brutality and cruelty of the armed groups constituted in many cases war crimes and crimes against humanity. Mass murder, disappearances, torture, and sexual and gender-based violence have marked this conflict. Organized and systematic rape has been used as a weapon of war and is so common, it has been said that the DRC is the most dangerous place on earth to be a woman. The DRC is located in the center of Africa and was formerly known as Zaire. It is roughly the size of the United States, east of the Mississippi River. It is one of the world's poorest countries, but is also one of the richest in terms of natural resources, cobalt, gold, zinc, diamonds, and coltan. Many crops grow in abundance in the fertile soil where many refugees once lived. Coffee, potatoes, yams, leeks, tomatoes. Yet despite all of this richness, 
very little has supported the people. And this is where we see the connection between European colonialism and the subsequent history that contributed to the refugee crisis. Warlords, colonialists, corrupt governments, and unscrupulous corporations plundered the land of its wealth, enslaved the native population, and created division and conflict between ethnic groups. All of this is a backdrop for the history that would follow and the wars that would create the modern Congolese refugee crisis. To learn more about the history of the Democratic Republic of Congo, we highly recommend Dancing in the Glory of Monsters, The Collapse of the Congo and the Great War of Africa by Jason Stearns, and King Leopold's Ghost, A Story of Greed, Terror, and Heroism in Colonial Africa by Adam Hochschild. Despite the weight of this horrifying history and recent traumas, and the challenge of adjusting to life in a very new place, Congolese preparing for resettlement in the United States express a strong optimism and desire to succeed upon arrival. The transition is challenging, but Congolese communities resettled to the United States have achieved self-sufficiency, acclimated to their new communities, and contribute to the economic and cultural life of their new homes. And we'll get a sense of that optimism and drive to succeed in next week's episode when we interview Abraham Mwenda Ikondo, the composer of our hometown theme song. I really can't wait. I'm so excited about next week's episode. It really is such a fun interview. And we'll end today's episode with a taste of what's to come next week. But before we go, some announcements. Thanks, Kendall. EMM has some exciting events, programs, and opportunities coming up. May 2nd through 4th, we're offering our Love God, Love Neighbor training in Atlanta, Georgia. The training equips participants to be ambassadors, allies, and advocates for refugee welcome. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash L-G-L-N, as in Love God, Love Neighbor, to learn more. And many thanks are in order. Our theme song was composed and recorded by Abraham Mwenda Okondo. Find his music at abrahammuendamusic.com. A huge thanks goes to today's reflection author, Mother Lori Brock, the rector of the Church of St. Michael the Archangel in Lexington, Kentucky. Information about the global refugee crisis is thanks to the Global Trends Report 2016, issued by the UN Refugee Agency. And information on the Congolese refugee situation comes from the backgrounder from the Center for Applied Linguistics. Tune in next week and tell your friends about the Hometown Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are EMM Refugees. Until next week, peace be with you and all those whom you consider your home. Here's a teaser from next week's episode. So we're living in a particularly strange cultural moment in the United States. Yeah. Through your music and through your life and through your witness, um, what do you hope Americans would learn from um, your work? I feel like I feel like it can be really it can be really misinterpreted as being cheesy, telling people uh, you you guys need to really really love each other. You know, you guys need to truly stand by each other or. Uh, Let's stop racial discrimination. Let's stop looking down on the poor. Start caring for your brother. It's, it can easily sound cheesy if you haven't experienced those things. 
But I think one of the things that really propels me uh, and encourages me to keep going and is because I have experienced some of these things myself. So when, I, when I'm talking about it, I know exactly what I'm talking about. But my encouragement is even for the people that they feel like they've never experienced hunger or poverty or racial discrimination or all this crazy thing, tribalism or all these things that are going on in the world, um, they should know my message and what I want to like show in my music is that it can happen to anyone. Anyone. No one is no one is immune to all these things. Today you're good, tomorrow you're not. And it's not like I'm being pessimistic. I'm just it's the reality of life. You know, you don't wake up. Nobody wakes up and goes, Oh, today I really want to die hungry today. Like, oh I really wish uh walk and break out here so somebody can shoot me in the leg. You know, <laughs> it doesn't you don't you don't go wishing all that on yourself unless you're crazy, but like <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it but it happens. It happens to everybody. So the culture, the culture here, the American culture, I feel like it's great. Tune in next week to catch the rest of our interview with Abraham Moinda Ikondo.